Get ready, Avalanche Territory. It's now time for the Mile High Hockey Podcast with Mike Evans on your home for the most Avalanche content. Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. Well, hello again, everyone, and welcome to the Mile High Hockey Podcast, week number two. I'm Mike Evans, and we've got a couple of great guests to uh, chop it up with here. First joining us in just a second is going to be Matt Smith, who you hear right on the fan uh, over the course of the weekend with the Avalanche podcast or the Avalanche uh, postgame show right after Avalanche games over the weekend with Drew Spivak and uh, want to get his thoughts on what's going on with the Avalanche for the first part of the season. And also we're going to have uh, Scott Masters back on again. He was on last week uh, for the first podcast and he was great. But when I was getting ready to do this one, putting it together, um, I was on with the drive and we were promoting uh, the podcast. And DMAC and Tyler asked me about Colin Wilson, former Nashville Predator, former Av, who over the last couple of years has admitted to uh, OCD, um, but also most recently came out and admitted to addiction to uh, sleep medications and also cocaine, cocaine taken while with the avalanche. And so we talked a little bit about it during their show and during the course of the avalanche Vegas game that I was at uh, the other night, uh, Scott reached out to me and, and texted me and said, hey, th- this Colin Wilson story I heard you guys talking about, this is uh, something that is is very personal to me and uh, w- would love to come on and talk about it. And he also added that uh, with the story going on with the Chicago Blackhawks right now involving Stan Bowman having to step down and sexual uh, assault charges against a, a former video uh, coordinator for the Blackhawks, Again, that was something that uh, Scott had thoughts on and some personal experience with that he wanted to uh, share with me and with and with you. So, so we've got Matt and we've got uh, Scott here ready to go on the uh, podcast, and and let's get right to it with uh, Matt Smith, who who joins us now. And again, you hear him on the fan during our Avalanche post game shows. And Matt, thank you so much for joining us and. Here we are, six games into the season. The Avalanche two and four, not the start that we were expecting. Still a long way to go. I'm just kind of curious, what's your your overall thoughts on this team so far? I'm concerned, Mike, more than most. I am, especially with last night's performance coming off of a an improved effort against Tampa. I expected the Avs to have. Uh, I mean, look, there was no lack of inspiration and motivation and they came out and played like they didn't have any and it looked like another game against vegas last night you know just a continuation of the four games they lost in a row to end that playoff series and you know it's early certainly uh digging out of a hole is going to be a challenge either way you know bednar last night saying he didn't know if it would be next week or next month or in a few months and you know look i'm i'm concerned and i was just as concerned before the year because they lost a lot of talent and did not replace it and lost a lot of production and did not replace it. And were still the cup favorites and still had these expectations hanging over their heads that they've had the last, you know, at least last season for sure. But, you know, three back to back to back second round exits. And I feel like I don't know how much better they're getting or if they're learning a lesson. I mean, you would think, and this was a big sign for me last night, you would think, 
that after getting embarrassed the way they did against Vegas, they would have come out last night with a point to prove, and they didn't. And that was stunning to me, especially after Bednar pushed the right buttons, had that really tough practice after the loss at Florida, bounced back. They worked on the right things. They mixed up the lines the right way. They gave a few more opportunities to some guys who earned it. And then they just came out completely flat again at home. And, I mean, there's that old cliche that the first game home after a road trip is the toughest. And, look, uh, you know, I, I expected more pride from them earlier in the year considering the fact that they can't get past the same point. And McKinnon, after that series against Vegas, comes out and said, I'm pissed off. And I just don't see a team that looks very pissed off. I don't know about you. Yeah, you said you, you see a team that came out a little bit flat. What about maybe the other way? Maybe the way that, that a, a Vegas supporter would look at it. Hey, we're in their heads now. You know, we've now beaten yeah. them five straight times. We're in their heads. And, and that wasn't a team that came out flat. That, te- that was a team that came out unsure of themselves or, dare I say, intimidated by us. And, you know, the other thing is they were telling the ass all night. Emily Kaplan, who was doing the broadcast for ESPN Between the Glass, did an unbelievable job kind of just providing a little bit of insight on what was going on between the two teams. And basically all night, Vegas was clowning the ass. I mean, Marcia so was screaming at uh, Curtis McDermott on the ice that he's a terrible player. And, I mean, it, you know, I, I just don't know where the pride is from the avalanche. From Vegas' perspective, you got to – why would you be worried about the Avs? You just – you just hammered them last night without Stone and Pacioretty. And, yeah, the Avs played a little bit better in that second and that third period. But if I were Vegas, I really wouldn't be all that concerned about the Avs because if you're Vegas, all you all you got to do is punch them in the mouth and the Avs aren't going to get back up off the mat, And you know, at least for another 15, 20 minutes. All right, Matt, then I want to go back to a comment you made where you said you just did not feel like the Avalanche did enough to replace the people they lost. And, and expand on that a little bit more if you could in terms yeah. of the ways that they are trying to replace those guys and, and in what areas and, and how you think they've come up short in replacing those guys. Look, look, everyone's struggling with this cap right now. And even Sackett came out last year and said, this might be the most loaded that we are on our run because of the restrictions we have with the cap. I mean, they lost Brandon Saad, they lost Eunice Donskoy, and they lost Belmar. Three vets. Three guys who knows what it, who knew what it takes to play in this league and to win and compete at the highest level, and you're trying to replace them with guys with no experience, guys who haven't proved they can produce, and rookies, and they don't have enough talent at with in those positions. And, and I think that the guys that do prove something on a nightly basis, guys like Logan O'Connor, aren't getting the opportunity that they earn and deserve. And I think they're just kind of you know, this is one thing I mentioned on the Fans Avalanche postgame show with Drew Spivak that we host on the weekends, is that nothing carries over. You know, this is a fresh start. And I think we heard that from Gabe last night as he tried to downplay the fact that it was a revenge game, even though I think everyone knew that it was a revenge game. But, you know, they got their tails kicked, and I'm sure that they were a little bit ashamed of it. So, you know, you're asking a lot of guys who haven't shown they can do it. And on paper, they got better on the blue line. They got tougher, for sure, and they got EJ back, which is certainly helpful. But I think you have to be concerned about the lack of production and 
uh, overall look of some of these top players. Kale McCarr is a team worst minus nine. He had a goal last night, but defensively he, he's been brutal. I mean, Comper and McCarr, you know, kind of turn that puck over that leads to that breakaway chance that Vegas ends up scoring to get their second goal last night. And it was just, you know, Kale's been, Kale's been bad defensively, quite frankly. And there are some concerns here. And I think there are more concerns in that organization and in that locker room than they want to maybe lead to believe on the outside. And I want to talk some, uh, and we're busy with uh, Matt Smith, of course, as you just mentioned, host along with Drew Spivak of our Avalanche post-game show over the weekend and, and love the chance to be able to just kind of chop it up here with you a little bit. I want to talk about NHL officiating, and I, it is it has long uh, frustrated me, uh, confused me, uh, the 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 leaders, the discipline, the disciplinarians, those that are in charge of handing out discipline, how there just never seems to be any uniformity to how they dole out punishment, how they view one incident as being worth this kind of punishment, and yet another one that seems exactly the same, a lot less. There have been rulings over the years that just have absolutely left me uh, laughing and shaking my head in bewilderment and disgust. So I want to talk about the 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 boarding call that led to a Gabe Landeskog suspension and and what to me was a, a similar boarding call uh, with Steven Stamkos on Sammy Gerrard that did not get suspended. What are your thoughts on the way that the NHL doles out its uh, its punishment? I think it's madding, maddeningly inconsistent. And I think Avs fans have every right to question why that Stamkos call wasn't at minimum, the non-call rather, wasn't at minimum a boarding call. And, you know, probably deservedly so, a suspension. Because it just wasn't all that different than what Gabe did to Doc. Gabe deserved a suspension for hitting Doc the way he did. Absolutely. That's the play that the NHL is trying to take out of the game, is driving guys into the boards head first. And I think you kind of have to say, okay, well, what's different here? Is it the name on the back of the jersey? And it might be because Stamkos had another, had another play last night um, against Pittsburgh that absolutely should have been called, and it wasn't. And then, you know, you look at last night with Jack Johnson in a game interference call, gets called a five-minute major, it made no sense. And so, you know, you kind of – are left at the end of the day, like you say, scratching your head and going, what is going on here? And the, the, the lack of accountability from the league's body of governance of player safety is extremely frustrating. And I know that I saw John Michael Lyles after the game on Twitter was saying that, you know, this is time for Bednar to take the fine and address the officiating. But the truth is, what good is that going to do? I, I'm just saying, what, what good is that really going to do? Because we keep seeing it time after time, game after game, where it's completely different. The Tyson, I mean, not just the player safety. How about the Tyson Jost goal that, get, that gets waved off in that comeback attempt um, against St. Louis? Uh, what, a week ago now? And then a week, you know, a few days before that, Chandler Stevenson kicks the puck with the outside of his skate, and it gets reviewed, and it counts for Vegas. So there's just there's a lot of inconsistencies right now with the review department and the way that the game and the rules are being governed. So it's confusing to me, Mike. It is, and I don't know how you address it. I don't think going and putting the refs on blast like a lot of fans want is the way to go about it. I think Bednar needs to make some calls to the league and, quite frankly, get an explanation. We never got one over the Stamkos hit. All right, last one uh, regarding, and this, again, happened in the Vegas game. 
where uh, Keegan Colasar gets uh, draws the the penalty uh, from from Jack Johnson, the interference call. That I'll, I'll be quite honest, I, I I didn't even know you could have a five minute <laughs> interference yeah, call. That was, that was okay, wild. and it was with the idea that you know there was there was a, a an intent to injure or enough of an injury sustained to warrant five minutes, and yet Colasar's back on the ice. Uh, moment without sitting out much time at all, it ends up uh, being involved in the empty net goal. Um, what was did, – did you ever really get – it seemed like – I mean, I was at the game, and it was a long – I mean, it was a good five to seven minutes of uh, inaction as we were waiting for this thing to all be figured out. So what – what were your takeaways from that whole sequence, that play? And uh, I and, and look, the the Avalanche ended up killing off the the three minute penalty. It it wasn't the reason they lost, but since we are talking about NHL officiating, the one thing I've always given the NHL credit for is that unlike the clown show that is NBA officiating, and uh, even the NFL now, which has become a a joke, how they they. You know, they change everything year by year. Baseball, you know, is baseball. But I've always kind of given hockey the benefit of the doubt with a lot of their officiating. I don't know. Some of these some of these calls just leave me wondering, and I'm sure leave a lot of fans wondering, uh, what's going on out there? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, my takeaway from that whole Jack Johnson situation was kind of the same as Jack Johnson's reaction when I think it was Roy came over, Wah came over to fight him, right? You know, he kind of like threw his hands up in the air going, why? Why are you coming over to fight me? Because it was just a, it was a simple check, right? I mean, it was definitely a game interference penalty. Yes. I mean, yes. you know, he didn't have the puck and you can't hit the guy without the puck. I mean, it was close, but nevertheless, definitely a penalty i don't i don't understand how you justify the five minute major there it didn't make any sense to me i don't think the nhl quite frankly mike has earned your benefit of the doubt for their officiating over you know some of these instances we've seen the last few years and i think that when you look at what's going on in the nhl it has to start at the top with gary bettman i mean this is a guy who's received you know just a load of criticism his entire career and the NHL prior to their deal with ESPN really hadn't done anything exciting in the league since they left ESPN outside of maybe the outdoor games, which is one game a year. And so, you know, I I think you have to look at the leadership of this league. I think it starts at the top and I think it starts with the willingness and ability to address that in an interest to provide a better product for your fans, which quite frankly, prior to rejoining ESPN, it didn't seem like the NHL had been all that concerned with doing that on a consistent basis and trying to improve their game rather than, you know, like I said, an outdoor game here or there, which those have been great, you know, and you got to give them credit for that. But uh, the the direction of the league is certainly concerning. Um, in what areas you know, have you, you seen? Wait, I'm sorry to interrupt. In what yeah, areas yeah. have you seen a deterioration in the officiating? Consistency. And I think – if you're trying to make a statement about removing certain plays from the game, then everyone has to be under the same scrutiny. And I do believe, Mike, if we're if, if, without mincing words, that the reason that Steven Stamkos wasn't reviewed for, you know, extracurriculars for that hit on Gerard, and again that hit last night, is the name on the back of the jersey. I mean, it's bad for the game when you lose stars, and so you know. Landis yeah. not a star? Right, right. And is that, so, is that the message that we're getting? But he hasn't made it. He hasn't. Yes, I think it is, Mike. I think it is. They haven't made it to the second. They haven't made it past the second round. And Vegas reminded them 
of that last night. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you play in Colorado, that's, you know, Tampa's back-to-back cup champs, right. you know, and, and Stamkos is the captain of that team. So I, I, what message are they sending? I don't think it's a good one. Um, how do you fix it? I think you have to have an independent review, you know, of, of what's going on. I think they've done a good job of getting better officials on the ice. I was reading the other night about now, and I like what they're doing, but I, I don't, I don't see it translating on the ice. And certainly when it goes to the review center, right. And the replay center, that has to be the biggest concern because why is there so much inconsistency in that room when you're taking the time to get it right? That doesn't make sense to me. Like that really doesn't. Matt, I've enjoyed this. This has been fun. A lot, a lot of good issues, a lot of uh, legitimate issues surrounding this avalanche team. And, uh, Hey, the good news is Kale McCarr says they're going to go on a seventy-four game winning streak. So, right, I heard I heard that response to your question in the in the in the presser last night. Let me ask you, Mike, are you as concerned as I am? You know, the thing that that bothers me, that worries me, is that I, I've I've looked at this team over the last couple of years in their playoff shortcomings, and and two things have stood out. One. Uh, they've got a defense that I don't think holds up against teams that play heavy, and I think that's been that's been borne out. And I still have questions about that defense that make up right now, and then the the lack of secondary scoring uh, that I thought they had addressed last year. And come playoff time, it it, it still reared its head. So I, I look right now at their bottom six forwards, and I see a struggle. And I, and what I see offensively right now is unless your top line has a big big night. This team right. is going to struggle to score goals, and I get where Joe is right now. Hands are tied a little bit, some constraints. He's trying to give some of the younger players a chance to to make their mark, but I I think that Joe understands that y- your championship window is only open for so long, and I think he, I think he will uh, uh, allow this to go for a while. Give. Players a chance, uh, the Tyson Jose, the JT Comfers, um, you know, we'll get Newhook back up here again, I'm sure, before long. Give them a chance to show that they can do it. Otherwise, I, I think Joe will be very active come uh, trade deadline to make sure that some additions are made uh, for, the, for the playoff run. As he should be. And like you mentioned, what is a one-line team when the one line doesn't produce? Right. Becomes a bad team. Yeah. And I think that that's what we're seeing right now, Mike. I All do. right. Matt, great stuff. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. That was fantastic. Thank you very much. Yeah, of course. Anytime, man. Anytime. Thanks for having me. All right, man. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. All right. There he is, Matt Smith, who you get a chance to hear here on The Fan on the weekend, our Avalanche postgame shows. He and Drew Spivak do an outstanding job. Of course, during the course of the week, we got Sandy Clough and Sean Drotar with our uh, Avalanche postgame shows. Moving on, a couple of big stories in the NHL. The Colin Wilson story, where he has admitted to doing cocaine in his time in the NHL, including with the Avalanche. Big story in The Athletic about that. Also, the firestorm of controversy swirling around the Chicago Blackhawks involving a former video coordinator uh, charged with uh, sexual assault against uh, young Blackhawk players during their 2010 Stanley Cup run. That has led to the resignation, forced resignation of uh, Stan Bowman, the team president. Joining me now is Scott Masters to uh, talk more about it. And and Scott, you uh, in the NHL for a, a long time as a as a scout, as a, a front office advisor. And this Colin Wilson story really struck home for you. Can you explain why? 
Yeah, it did. And I, I've been watching Colin play for a long time and, and, and remember watching him when he was in college and just coming out as a draft pick. So I've seen his career, the whole length of his career, but this is such a common story of how NHL players and, and athletes in general and even staff on, on my aspect is it, it's a very tough world to live in as far as travel and uh, physical and, and emotional demands and it's easy for players to get caught up in it. And I think teams in the past were easy, very easy to give up what the players needed to perform the next day. And a prime example in, in, in today was, uh, you know, Vegas plays, played last night in Colorado. The next day they play in Dallas. Well, there's a flight, there's a time change, there's buses, there's, you know, you need to get ready for that next day. And so the back-to-backs really hurt the NHL players and probably NBA players a little bit more in pursuit of relaxation or without pain. So the teams were able to give out pain medication and then players couldn't sleep. So what do you do? Ambien, sleeping meds. Same with coaches. Coaches are wound up night before they lose. How are they going to get back to the hotel and sleep and, and then prepare for the next day? So sleeping drugs and all types of drugs were handed out to players. And they're a little bit better these days and over the years, but maybe 20, 30 years ago, they weren't, and it still kind of drifted off. And now I think teams are starting to figure it out that we can't do this because players are getting addicted. And they didn't have a spot to to talk about or, you know, to come out and say, hey, I have this issue. Because my personal thing was I was even getting caught up in that, and I was handed these these drugs, um, you know, like anxiety drugs or Ambien and to get just to sleep. And so it just became a routine of that's how you lived your life in the NHL. And if you needed to get up, then you, you went to cocaine. And that was Colin Wilson's thing is that, you know, dealing with OCD and these things that you couldn't escape your brain and you relied on these crutches, which he's used and I've used in the past, where you needed to just escape. And it was readily common and it's used and players got a hand. And there's a lot of players now coming out about their mental health. We're looking at Carey Price, the best goalie in the world, is coming out and saying, hey, I need a break. You know, Jonathan Druin did it last year. Robin Leonard of the Vegas Golden Knights has been a huge advocate for just, he was on Ambien for seven years and, and doesn't think that he's ever had deep sleep in that seven years, which is crazy to think that a, you're paying a goalie five, six million dollars, but he hasn't slept in seven years. It's just this common thing, and then players get it more and more addicted and it becomes deadly over a while, and that's the sad part. Scott, I guess I thought of cocaine as a drug seen in sports in the 80s and 90s. You're saying it's still prevalent today? Yeah, I'm not sh- I don't. I can't speak of 2021 of what the drug choice mm-hmm. of NHL players is today and last night or whatever. It could be the mollies. It could be, you know, cocaine. But, I, yes, I think cocaine has been there, um, and it's, it's made players – and I wouldn't say a lot. I, I don't know. I usually, you know, being on a staff and traveling with an NHL team, you kind of figure out what players' uh, outs are, you know. And some, I remember players were drinking a lot and, um, you know, things of that nature. But I think cocaine has definitely been a factor on some players, but also these other drugs that they can use to escape the pain meds. Um, you know, we can go into the Roy Holidays of how he lived his life of, oh, I got to perform, I got to perform, got to perform. And then when he retired he was addicted for one and he didn't know how to live his life without it and he ended up dying at a young age of 41 or 42 
You know, it's interesting when I when I have a conversation like this about athletes, and I can almost in my in the back of my mind hear uh, the the regular Joe out there listening, saying, "Wait a minute." Come on, Scott. What are you talking about? What 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 pressures do these guys have? They're paid millions of dollars. They travel first class. They stay in five star hotels. Uh, they got to go out and they got to you know play a play a, a game for for two or three hours a, a night. And uh, you know, too bad they have to play back to back. You know, I got to get up and work a job I don't like. You know, forty fifty hours uh, a week. What what would be your response to to folks who think that? these problems, these mental issues that uh, athletes deal with that, well, quite frankly, they, they should be, you know, they should suck it up a little bit more. Yeah. You get yeah, where I'm, you know a, where I'm coming from? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think what I would just respond to that is that the average Joe that we mentioned of working their, their butts off, you know, 50, 60 hours a week, which a, a ton of Americans do. It's everyone's human. Everyone has the same, makeup it doesn't matter how much money you make and it doesn't matter how much fame you have people have their their mental health issues regardless and sometimes other situations can help it but you look at justin bieber has really struggled and people will be like well how does he struggle i mean he's the most he can have any woman in the world and he has 11 billion dollars right but he has his own struggles everyone has their own insecurities and, and their own issues and that you can't judge other people by their stuff as you just can't and it, money doesn't change things and for the professional athlete i think it is difficult because i mean it's a different yes they make it they make a lot of money but for me personally i'm a, a sensitive man i would get you know i get heartbroken over someone bashing me on twitter right so if i was in front of 80 18,000 fans or 75 for the broncos and people were yelling at me that i suck and you know, they want to do horrible things to my mother and it would just get on you. And especially in the course of, say, Montreal, well, Jonathan Drouin, a Quebec native going to the Montreal Canadiens, he has to succeed. He's, you know, like the pressure in, in, in Montreal is enormous. And he felt like he couldn't, he wasn't living up to that money, right? He wasn't living up to that fame. He wasn't living up to those expectations that the Montreal Canadiens and the Montreal Canadiens fans had for him. And it results to insomnia and results to anxiety, OCD, oh, when am I going to score next, all these things. And so that's a little bit different to have some empathy for just other humans that are across the board. You know, you have empathy for the guy down the street. Have empathy for everyone. It's just how it should be. Visit with Scott Masters. I, I want to get to another big story in the NHL that uh, you, you, again, have uh, – some firsthand knowledge of uh, a real keen insight into Chicago Blackhawks president of hockey operations. Stan Bowman has resigned after investigators released their findings on how the team handled sexual assault allegations against former video coach Brad Aldrich during their 2010 Stanley cup run. Uh, This was again, a a story that you had some, some thoughts on. Please share your, your, your background of this story. Yeah, this is a very interesting story, and I, I, I think everyone has to kind of choose their words appropriately to it. It's such a sensitive subject, and a new subject for NHL and probably professional sports is male-on-male abuse, right? Uh, you know, usually it's the athlete abusing a female, you know, reporter or staff member or things like this, and so this was really kind of a huge thing that people didn't know how to deal with it, and I think... The Blackhawks, 
didn't know how to deal with it because it was the first time they've ever heard of it. So they kind of pushed it away, which obviously wasn't the right move. My background is a video coach for so many years and dealt with this, the predator in this case, the other video coach for Chicago Blackhawks. And I didn't know him well. He was a very young kid, uh, very young in the, in the, in his profession. Um, and he took advantage of basically if people don't know the story in the playoffs, he, he just took advantage of two younger players, two call up players that were traveling with the team during the Stanley cup run, um, basically using alcohol and um, privilege or power to these players. So it's just an, such an interesting story that now it's going to have this ripple effect 10, 13 years later, we're talking Stan Bowman stepping down. And then what's going to happen with Joel Quinville mm-hmm. of, you know, like he knew these things, they were in meetings, they've showed it. And the bad part about what happened is they just fired this coach and let him go. But then he went on to abuse other younger kids at the high school level. And that's why that was the problem. They didn't approach it correctly. They didn't handle it correctly. And then all of a sudden, it's a bigger issue down the road because this this predator is preying on other kids. You know, Scott, you're talking about decades of behavior in the hockey culture that has been accepted as the way things are done. Should we be surprised, even in 2021, that something like this happens and it seems so new? Yeah, well, two things. I think in hockey has, has been, and I think people outside of hockey maybe don't know the history and some of the crude things that NHL players mm-hmm. did in the older days, and maybe a, more, a little bit more alcohol, beer involved, but also a lot more um, hazing was yep. involved. And a lot of those hazings were done inappropriately with a lot of nudity and making younger athletes do it. And it was more of a, out of a you know joke hazing thing. Mm-hmm. But it was definitely a sexual thing where you they can't do it today. And with Theo Fleury, a little bit different on the aspects that that was a coach – uh, a little bit of bigger age gap, right? Like, mm-hmm. and not professional where there was a lot of abuse on that side and that thing. But the Chicago Blackhawks is really rare for for me to a professional coach, right? Mm-hmm. And a professional athlete. That's probably the odd thing. And and to say, was it, and, and we're talking Stan Bowman, Joel Quinville, we're talking old school hockey right. players, right? old school Stan Bowman learning from Scotty Bowman and Joel Quinville playing for the Rockies uh, years and years ago that it just had this mentality of, you know, kind of suck it up and deal with it. And even in my days of 20 years in professional hockey, I have numerous encounters that would be like, people are like, what? That, that doesn't happen in an office. Like uh, a coach called me in to lecture me and threatened to fire me, but he was sitting in his chair naked. Like, um, this is normal. Yeah. And then another, and I, and it, I had nothing to say. I went, I, I was just left. I was just crushed. And I didn't even think about, Hey, he was actually naked. And now I'm thinking about it. There's a lot of those episodes and the craziest story I have, and I've never, I've written it, but I've never published it is that I was on an NHL bus and I got tapped on the shoulder one way on my left shoulder. I turned around to left, nothing there, turned to around my right. And some, one of the hockey players put their package on my shoulder. Uh-huh. And it's like a joke, right? It's a, it's on the team bus, you know, all the players see it and all those players and, uh, you know, management in front of me, so they don't see it, but no one's going to know, like no one cares, right? It's a joke. It's funny. It's whatever. But 
that's how the older mentality worked. And I've never even thought about, you know, going to that person and going to that organization and say, hey, this was wrong, because that's just what the court was. But it's definitely changing. It's definitely going to change now with this Blackhawks scandal that's going to set them back, I think, years. It's going to be a mess. They're a bad organization now. Uh, and then we'll wait to see what happens with other people that were involved that kind of were in this meeting and turned their back, which there's a lot of prominent, uh, a lot of prominent NHL names. How do you find that balance between, hey, your your teammates, um, you're, you're trying to have fun, you want to have fun, you want to be able to bust each other's chops. You know what I'm talking about. You want to do all the things that uh, make sports, make being part of a team fun, but not to the point where you're crossing lines that are going to make people uncomfortable. How do, how do you find that balance? Yeah, that's that's a tough one, and especially that just I feel like things have changed so much, and so it's so hard to know what what the new path is and how people react. And not to bring it back full circle, but I think it does is where these athletes were doing these things. But if you felt like you were uncomfortable with it, well, what does that create? That creates an unsafe environment. That player may result to using drugs, alcohol, whatever it may be to escape from those embarrassments, right? To, you know, he can't go to his superior and say, hey, you know, this happened to me and I think I need to lay down and take a nap. Like, who would, it's not known to say that in an NHL locker room. You know, so for the path to what's going forward, I think people just have to really just carve a new path and, yeah. and treat people back with that respect and, and sympathy and understanding that this is just isn't right. Like, yeah, there's fun ways to go about it and maybe it's a von miller halloween party that you go to and (laughs) something like that but they have to find a new way the old way wasn't working and it grew to 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 an environment that's not safe for a lot of people you know that it's it's it is it's amazing now you you know you and i having this conversation about hockey but as we're talking about i start thinking about uh naomi osaki the the tennis player simone biles the, the whole uh, discussion out there about mental health and about uh, what what is permissible now, uh, what was the old way of doing things that shouldn't be done? Are we overreacting? Is it too PC? It, it's this kind of conversation, isn't it? It's a reminder that what we're sort of heading towards is is a, a very uncertain, volatile unpredictable landscape out there that nobody really, I think has the playbook on how to best handle and approach it. Right. I mean, it, there, there's going to be a lot of kind of sifting through all this, trying to figure out the the right way to go. Yeah. And I think it's difficult for organizations that, you know, like, you know, I looked at the press conference with Mark Bergevin and Carrie Price and you look at, and, and Bergevin was definitely, upset about the situation because you you care about your players and you care about them and but also you're you're in charge of winning and so uh people are going to have to understand and 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 work with these people that and maybe put and the problem i had with recently on a on a non-hockey thing was the denver broncos and the lineman that was a hero was quote for battling it out and as when his heart was 
Graham um, Glasgow. Not, Graham Glasgow. Yeah. Yeah. No, not working correctly. Well, the coach called him a hero for that. If he would have died on the field, would he would have considered be a hero? Like that's a that's a term I I don't like to use for athletes. But it's also that coaching right there that that's not the way that you need to handle that. You need to be like, hey, he he suffered. He he, he was a tough man, but he needed to come out of the game. Mm-hmm. You know, like that tough man mentality of like battle through it and do anything. Well, there's a certain level and there's a certain line that you go to, and then you stop after that. And to call that player a hero for doing that, no. It was silly. Get off the field. Take care of yourself. That's a life and, and death type of situation. And don't hero, don't say that player is a hero for doing it because anything to make a, a football team win is not a hero. The heroes are the nurses, the doctors, the soldiers, all those things. Football players are not them. Scott, I really enjoy it. Two weeks in a row for appearing on this podcast. Thank you so much. And uh, and please, as a, uh, a, a thank you, please mention uh, what you're working on right now, the venture you have going on with uh, former Av Eric Lacroix. Yeah, just uh, we're just getting going. We just had a big event with, with Pierre's retirement, which was fantastic. And I had the privilege to see it. And then we hosted a little party for Pierre and all the players, all the legends were there. But Overall, Lacroix Hockey is, is going into the advising and management company very similar to the legacy Pierre started in Quebec and then left to run the Avalanche. And so Eric has that, that blood, uh, that agency blood and that advisor blood where he just wants to help kids and, and help, the, help the community grow, the hockey community grow. So we're doing a lot of great things. We're going to advise kids all of the ages, you know, 5 to 35, and, and we're starting a, a little – Drill House is what it's going to be called at the Family Sports Center. We're getting rid of the carnivals and putting in a nice um, performance center in there for young players. And it's exciting to work with uh, such a legacy of Pierre and Eric and continue down the road. And we got a lot of great things coming. All right, great. And if people want to learn any more about it, uh, how can yeah, they get, get Hockey, look, Yeah, LaCroixHockey.com is the best place. We're, we're going to keep on adding stuff. We're going to have some community events where – We'll have college coaches. We'll have some of these NHL coaches and, and referees and, and talk about mental health and how parents should react to referees and all these things that are just going to help overall the hockey community. Great stuff. Scott, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All right, there he is, Scott Masters. Our thanks to him and also Matt Smith, our guest today here on the Mile High Hockey Podcast. Good good stuff. Uh, some uh, Some heavy issues. Right there, thought-provoking issues, complex issues there uh, covered with Scott Masters and definitely a unique perspective on pro athletes, the lives they live, the pressures that they face, and uh, also that uh, that that world uh, inside, the hockey world, and, and that battle, that, that push and pull that might be going on right now between the old-school way of doing things versus the new age of doing things. How is that all going to work out? How is that going to mix? How is it going to butt heads? It uh, is something that's going to be uh, interesting and fascinating to watch in the days, weeks, years ahead. That'll do it for this edition of the Mile High Hockey Podcast. Again, my thanks to Matt Smith and Scott Masters. We'll see you again next week.